everybody. Welcome back to Faithful. My name's Emmeline. My name is Christina. Uh, and today you probably saw from the title of our episode and everything, but we have a special guest and we're going to be talking about a really fun topic I'm very excited about. Uh, clerics in D&D. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Annie Creighton. Um, I have a cleric on Gem Jammer, which uh, is a actual play D&D podcast with Spelljammer. Uh, and I really like talking about her a lot, so Christina <laughs> dragged me over on here for this one. I did not drag Annie over here. I invited her and she came willingly. <laughs> this is more accurate, yes. Basically, if, if you give me a soapbox, I'll pretty much just go on all day. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not all day, because time zones are a pain in the butt to record with. But yes, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I'm super excited because I have not listened to Gem Jammers, um, but I have been playing D&D like all summer. And so that's like super my fixation right now. And I'm extremely excited to hear about both you, Annie, and uh, Christina talking about this. I'm super, super pumped. <laughs> Emma, I feel like Spelljammer would be a very enjoyable setting for you. Annie, would you like mm -hmm. to pitch Spelljammer real quick to Emma? Okay. Yeah, so Spelljammer is a, uh, it, it, it was like a second edition or third edition, I think second edition uh, setting that they made basically out of protest and someone said you need to set this thing in space. Uh, so they made a space setting for Dungeons and Dragons um, and it's all really super duper weird. There's like hippo people and like spider monsters with eel heads and penguin people and uh, <laughs> the elves ride giant swans and uh, the spaceships are all really, really Really super dumb and it's uh it's it's just it's a lot of fun there's like very little actual like published content for it in fifth edition rdm homebrews uh almost all of it mm -hmm. uh but it's very dumb and uh goofy and we have made it extremely gay because of course we did of course but yeah but no Spelljammer is really weird and fun and maybe slightly different from your guys's campaigns oh sure probably yes <laughs> very different from the campaign that i am in <laughs> and that's probably a good introduction point for us to talk about what what our experiences are with playing clerics in D D. so we, we should probably go around and talk about like if you've had a character who was a cleric, what what was like their background or like what's your experience with clerics specifically in D and D? At some point, we should probably also talk about faith in other tabletop games, but D and D is what we're all comfortable with and familiar with. So, right, big shrug. Who wants to go first? So mine isn't. I unfortunately wasn't able to get like super in depth. Um, with the last like full cleric that I played, uh, I her name was Bosco Sticks because I was eating some Bosco Sticks and forgot to come up with a name before the first session. Um, <laughs> this happens. Uh, yes, but she turned out to be really, really great, and um, this was my first D and D campaign that I actually ever like had a conclusion to, like that didn't just like fade off halfway through the um, campaign. God, I wish that were me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, just halfway. Most of mine fade off after about session three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was really fun, and I, you know, I didn't get to 
get super into like her deity or like her like a complex relationship with faith but just like um it was interesting to have an outlet like that where you know like me being a person of faith like my character drawing from the kind of the same kind of like like uh i guess like power that i do if if that makes sense like i understand where their faith comes from and i like i can understand how that would give you comfort so that was just fun for me as like one of my first like real D characters um and then uh she turned out to be gay and super awesome and the <laughs> night that she got um her girlfriend in in the game me and my partner started dating the same night and we were in the same campaign <laughs> so Cute. uh <laughs> Yeah, so that'll always have a special place in my heart. Did you did you like sort of ask each other out, not really ask each other out in in the game, and then like <laughs> clarify that afterwards? Or oh, that would see that would be great, and I kind of wish that that's how it happened. Um, but no, my uh, my PC was dating an NPC. And oh, I think okay, okay. Maybe like in you know in the session they like <laughs> confess their love or whatever and then i think that that might have inspired my partner to that night be like uh, well, uh, what about us also in real life <laughs> while, while we're talking about feelings <laughs> oh that's adorable it is yeah. it's very adorable i don't think i'd ever heard like the full story but it is very cute emma <laughs> yeah it was great that was also an important campaign for me because uh like i was playing a person of faith and also like i was very much like not really at terms with my own like bisexuality and like figuring myself out so i was exploring a lot of that kind of stuff in the game uh, because dnd is therapy for lots of people <laughs> um but uh yeah so that was fun um and then the other character that I'm playing right now, her name is Friday Noon. <laughs> I love her so much. That's a very good name. To death. I love her so much. Thank you. Um, her dad's name is November Noon, and her mom's name is June Noon. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm very proud of the naming scheme that I came up with. But anyway, so she, I started it with her as a cleric, um, but as this campaign continued this is um i was telling them about this before but i'm in like a big west marches campaign that's just 24 mm -hmm. 7 role playing and and a lot of stuff um but as stuff was progressing i realized that like cleric didn't really like fit with her anymore and so in canon i had her move from a more like religious studies to more arcane studies and reclassed her as a wizard um so that's been kind of interesting too just like exploring her relationship with religion and potentially mm -hmm. losing it or in where she might find it again um has been fun for me as well nice so did you so you're just fully multi-classing or did you like sort of go back and retroactively redo the levels yeah totally reclass she's a full okay. wizard now um interesting my dms were uh kind enough to let me do that it's because i was like i don't remember what was happening but somebody was looking at some role play i was doing and they were like why is Friday not a wizard? I don't understand. She just acts like a wizard all the time. <laughs> I was like, could I make her a wizard? And they were like, sure, why not? Good. I'm I'm glad that the, the Council of DMs was kind enough to let you do that, Emma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is like that. 
Yeah, it's always nice to be able to just pull a mulligan on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Annie, would you like to go, or would you like me to go? Uh, I can go next if you want. Sure. Uh, so, my cleric is one that I'm playing in our campaign right now in Gem Jammer. Um, her name is Juliana. She is an Azamar Tempest cleric. Um, the thing about clerics in... Spelljammer is that in the original text, uh, one thing that is very weird about them is while you're out in essentially outer space, in the ether that connects the sort of crystal spheres that are like solar systems, <laughs> um, clerics basically would lose all the all their abilities to cast any magic above mm-hmm. like second level or third level or something. Because Spelljammer hates Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um the idea was that, like, if you weren't in a sphere where your deity had influence, you basically lost your connection to that, because at the time, the idea for clerics was that they received their powers from their god, necess- not necessarily from any internal sort of, like, faith mechanism or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we created the campaign, Jiliana uh, was built with that sort of interesting idea in mind. Mm-hmm. Because it's 5th edition, and because my DM isn't uh, that kind of uh, torturer, um, (laughs) we decided that essentially what that means is basically like that we took some of that idea in spirit. So Juliana, fairly early on, had to reconcile the idea of not being able to talk to her goddess, not being able to connect with her. Um, And went through this whole sort of character arc of like learning to essentially have faith uh, in a deity that she cannot directly contact, cannot directly mm. like have some kind of proof of existence. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, she'd always been able to have direct contact with that deity before because that that's the sort of aspect about like religious characters in tabletop settings and fantasy sure. settings that already seem most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also her being an Azamar, which is like, you're sort of like an angel person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also just sort of doubled down on that idea. Um, sure. Her goddess is a homebrew, quote-unquote, goddess uh, who is named Ethla, who is a, like, a storm goddess who also has aspects of, like, motherhood and justice and honor. Mm. So she's, like, a lawful good character. Mm -hmm. Um, She's also an anxious wreck. (laughs) Well, big bisexual disaster, let's be clear. As all clerics are. As all clerics are. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) uh she is a uh she is also like sort of the uh despite being a bisexual disaster she's also sort of the straight man of the group Mm -hmm. uh in that she is like she is the uh the quote-unquote voice of reason and by that i mean when stuff gets super weird she's the she's the funny character that yells why is this yes (laughs) why are there spider eels (laughs) right and like the thing that's interesting for me about Juliana in exploring that is that um, I am a born and bred Hoosier. Uh, I'm from the middle of the Bible Belt in uh, southern Indiana. And the longer I talk about that state, the more my draw will come in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, despite all that, despite being in a town with a ridiculous amount of churches, uh, I am a, uh, I guess you could best classify it as deist agnostic. Mm-hmm. It's not something where... Uh, Organized religion has ever been a very direct part of my life, um, mm-hmm. although that has ha- that has increased more since my husband and I got married, as my husband is Orthodox Christian. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, Antiochian Orthodox, to be more precise. So, 
Uh, I have always orbited around faith, but it's not something that I have had a whole lot of personal connection with. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been really interesting to sort of explore what that kind of relationship is like in Juliana, especially with a big part of her being like actually having to find something that is a more earth-based definition of faith and belief as mm -hmm. opposed to uh, your typical like fantasy i can just call up my gun hey how how's it going <laughs> and yes listeners i did in fact just make an inspector gadget phone with my hand nice <laughs> i thought that was just like the universal signal for like i'm on the phone and it has been since 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 handsets were like this <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's the thing. You ask a you ask like a Gen Z kid now, and, and right, the yeah. answer is they they put the hand up. Yeah, they do this. It's weird. yeah, it's just a flat hand because it's smartphones. Weird. It's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so, Inspector Gadget phone, <laughs> which is dating myself terribly, but there you go. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's a that's sort of an overview of Juliana. Nice. I guess it's my turn then. Mm -hmm. What's up? Uh, so my experience in playing a cleric is my very first ever D&D &D character that I ever made. Her name is Fiala Wignole, and she is a wood elf cleric uh, in the nature domain following Melora. Um, I originally made her for a, I believe it was part of like a, it was, it was called like Teldore Day or something. It was one of those like big big organizations between Critical Role fans to have kind of like play a whole bunch of one shots on a specific day. Mm -hmm. I made her for a game that I was playing in with my friend Alyssa. And then once that one shot was over and I was actually able to find a group in real life to play D&D &D with, I just kind of brought Fiala down from level 15 where she was for the one shot down to level one and started her in this campaign. Um, the in the campaign i should also preface that uh i am the only player who is practicing in any kind of faith <laughs> i am uh i am born catholic raised catholic still practicing catholic liberal catholic but still catholic um <laughs> how many times can i say catholic in five seconds <laughs> but in this campaign there are six players plus our gm and i am the only one with any kind of i'm just gonna say like presenting faith, faith present yeah with any kind of real faith background and religion and interest mm -hmm. um so i up until literally like february of 2020 she was the only character in our party with any real like faith uh interest motivation i guess you could say sure and that's to counterpart the fact that one of our players is a gold dragonborn who has dropped a lot of hints that she is pretty much just a fallen angel descended from Bahamut because she screwed something up and <laughs> she doesn't give a flying fart about religion. That's a lot. And nothing happens <laughs> with her and nothing happens with her character who is at this point pretty much everything except for explicitly confirmed to be a fallen angel god. Fallen angel <laughs> dragon. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so Fiala's kind of like her character arc so far in this game, where I also should clarify that our campaign is that we're fighting against an eco-terrorist lich druid. Hmm. Alright. 
But Fiala's journey is that she kind of started out with, like, the... She had pretty much no idea, like, how to cleric. Like, she knew that she had kind of some kind of, like, divine powers, but wasn't sure exactly where they were coming from. Or, like, how to really, like, be a cleric. Mm-hmm. So, in in the game, her, like, her lack of just knowledge of anything relating to being a cleric was addressed by her essentially receiving, like, a divine magnet pull <laughs> towards hmm. someone in the starting village who was like, I'm... I am a I am a follower of Melora. Here have these have a couple of books on Melora's teachings and how to be a cleric, which I have decided are myths about Melora and the guide to Melora for dummies, volume one. <laughs> <laughs> so Fiala's journey has then been a lot of you know kind of trying to figure out what it means to be a cleric in general and of Melora in specific because Melora is not a very commonly worshipped god in our universe. I think. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of kind of learning how learning as she goes and also then me trying to figure out like how to play a cleric and how to especially like how to be a cleric among a party that is very irreligious in general. Okay. One of our players switched characters so now he's a paladin who is also very <laughs> connected to his god so I'm hoping to be able to get some more interaction with that but we have not played a game since April. And I think I might be the only one in my party who is actually interested in getting back to D&D. So I'm I'm really hoping that we pick up again sometime soon. But that's where, that is where Fiala is at. And if she, and if the campaign doesn't pick up, then I will find another place to put her because I want to play her very badly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite things about uh D and and characters that you know don't get a resolved story like that's where friday came from is another campaign that did not resolve uh and i just i loved her and i wanted to know what happened to her and um mm-hmm. so i just plopped her into this new setting where the dms uh gave her things to work with and are as invested in her story as i am that's uh awesome. so yeah, it's a yeah. great fit. <laughs> yeah. So then, would y'all like to talk about how, like, your GM or DM has specifically been helpful in, like, figuring out how clerics, like, work and interact and, like, affect the world around them? Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, my DMs, uh, as I mentioned before, there are five of them. <laughs> yes, the um, council. But- <laughs> uh, the way that they've divided it up in this um, West Marches, I'm not sure how they do it in other West Marches, but basically there are like five different continents that your character can be from. And depending mm-hmm. on where your character is most of the time or like where their backstory stuff would come into play, that DM is kind of like in charge of your story and making sure that those those points happen and that things continue to pull your character into the story. Mm-hmm. Um so Friday is from this place called the Visuin Empire that has been described as like what if like the Roman Catholic um uh empire uh was just like even worse. <laughs> Ooh, fun. Yeah. Um so when so in the empire um there is only one religion that you can be. You believe in the divine mandate 
which is this list of rules about like how these three empresses are goddesses and they um, control everything and they've made everything and anybody who doesn't believe in the divine mandate is a heretic and will be arrested and petrified because the empresses are Medusa and turn you to stone. So Very chill. Yeah, right? Having a normal one over there. <laughs> Once again, haven't said this in a while. I will apologize for the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> if we had t-shirts, I feel like that would be one of them. <laughs> I, would, I would wear that. I would send that to probably some of my family members. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Friday's backstory is a very stereotypical um, tragic one for a D&D character where... Dead parents? <laughs> Dead parents. <laughs> um, yeah, content warning for a uh, parent to death for a minute here. But um, So Friday's dad was killed by a member of the secret police, and Friday's mom was petrified uh, for breaking one of the rules of the divine mandate uh, when she was like five. Uh, and so she grew up with her aunt, who was not a terrible person, but not great, and basically re- learned really early on that the divine mandate was BS and wasn't ever going to help her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, as soon as she could, she ran away to a neighboring country um, and just decided that she was going to forget all of that and uh, learn magic on her own. And so she started as a cleric because I think her all she knew was the divine mandate and the church and that's just everything she knew about magic and the only thing that she could read was about the divine mandate um but as she just was able to like explore herself that changed uh and uh she found more books about uh, different things um Mm -hmm. and uh so i don't the dm hasn't really done anything with me specifically about religion yet but just like in setting up the world and giving characters an opportunity to have this complex relationship with faith um, Mm -hmm. has been really uh, fascinating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my, I, I kind of already talked about like how my game approaches religion. Um, Cause there have been, there have been a couple of occasions where our party has come across other people of other people of faith or other people of religion Mm -hmm. um the biggest influence besides me (laughs) besides fiala in the game is that we recently wrapped up a quest line in a city where there is a big presence of the church of bahamut and they are kind of the typical you know kind of snobby better than thou stereotypical church Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of those places where they're, they're like, they're definitely doing good, but they definitely could be a lot less prideful about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, for whenever we get back to that game, God willing, if the Church of Bahamut will end up being on the side of the party, or if the party, maybe except for Fiala, will decide that they just need to be, uh, that they, that they just need to be taken down. And Mm -hmm. depowered, defunded, whatever you want to use. (laughs) Juliana's in kind of a weird spot because, like, uh, Juliana's home planet is kind of a backwater world. Um, Her goddess, Ethla, is the whole, the whole faith is actually, like, a fairly small one. Like, 
she was originally concepted as a character who worships a god that absolutely nobody else like knows or remembers or or really knows about. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but the thing is that Juliana was always raised in it because uh, she was given to a convent uh, when she was like six years old. Essentially, her mm-hmm. parents just couldn't afford to keep her and all of the other kids. Um, so, like, she has always been raised in it, uh, when she started, like, manifesting sort of the Asimar traits and stuff, uh, and it turned out she wasn't totally human, she was just like, oh, this is absolutely where I'm supposed to be, this is where mm-hmm. I've always been meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has always sort of been raised in this faith, um, and with it as a very prevalent part of her life, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, since there's not really... Like, we recently had some confirmation from an NPC uh, in our uh, definitely not the mummy adventure. Um, (laughs) That, first off, that a god's aspect, a god's, like, influence really only uh, extends so far as their sphere. So, like, uh, the gods outside of Kryn, if you're doing a Kryn campaign, don't really have much influence outside of Kryn. Same goes for Greyhawk Mm -hmm. or... Mm -hmm. uh, or, like, Baldur's Gate or any of those sorts of things. Um, so, a lot of it has been trying to figure out how to deal with and without that. Yeah. Juliana's, like, probably the only really person who deals with faith in our campaign, uh, though mm-hmm. our party is relatively small. Um, and the other characters absolutely see the benefit of it, um, although... It's not something that is super important to them individually. It's like a ranger and a fighter and a bard. So everybody's mm-hmm. magic, such as it is, comes from a different place. Mm-hmm. Although, again, from the NPC, who's definitely not Evie in The Mummy, <laughs> uh, we did sort of get into some ideas of an overall idea of deities because they act sort of differently in every sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, this being that the idea that gods are hypothetically they're basically just creatures that work their way up to the celestial plane and they're not it really all that all that uh infallible or important and right not really all that infallible and that most people do much better without without them and juliana was super mad about that one definitely (laughs) almost killed her oh no (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is that like all these sorts of questions and things are things that have been sort of built in with Juliana and sort of the whole idea of the character in general. So it's stuff that she mm-hmm. was going to tackle eventually. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, her whole sort of crisis of faith thing was something that uh, the DM and I worked on, like when we were first concepting out sort of the whole campaign. So that was always built in there from the get go of her to like grapple mm-hmm. with the ideas of her faith and mm-hmm. how the entire, how sort of the greater world works with it. Sure. Uh, Kit's always been great about that. I, I think everybody in the party, like everybody at the table, is either like atheist or something. It, it, religion's sure. not really a, a super important part of anybody's lives, so it doesn't really come out come into play all that much, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I get that. That's always so funny to me, um, because I think every single like tabletop character I've ever made has like some kind of complex 
relationship with religion. Like, I can't imagine having huh. a character that doesn't. And so <laughs> the other yeah. day I was trying to come up with a concept for a new character. And I was like, I think this one's going to have a complex relationship with faith. And <laughs> <laughs> and my my partner, Vigil, was like, Emma, this is like the seventh character in a row you've shown complex relationship <laughs> with faith in and a row. Like, and? <laughs> and what about it? <laughs> I'll make characters and other things when I'm done thinking about it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that's like such the meaty part of like a character in a in, in like a fantasy setting though. Absolutely. Is yeah. Because th- these are the ones where like the gods can directly talk to you or you can directly yeah. feel the influence of your god or yeah. it's very clear that these gods have been here and they've been around. There's so much proof of that and it's mm-hmm. just not really like it's a completely different foundation for Absolutely, uh, yeah. for any sort of religion and that's just so interesting to me when yeah. it comes to clerics. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. I have a friend who is playing a bard, um, but has a really like um complex and intricate relationship um with faith in the campaign, mm-hmm. uh, because they are uh Jewish and mm-hmm. uh so they um have like a much different like uh first of all relationship with faith than I do at all, and then yeah, even advocate. Yeah. Of course, yeah, and then um. Like, I just love to see the way that they, like, incorporate their different, like, um, religious experiences, uh, like, out of character into the world and, like, implementing different, like, like, there's this other religion in our game called the Solus that is, um, Is uh, it, uh, do you mean Solus as in S-O-U-L-E-S-S or S-O-L-A-C-E? The second one. Like, they, they look okay. like the sun. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> the solace, maybe. Yeah. And uh, their character is uh, a very devout follower of the solace. Um, and uh, just, like, seeing the way that they, like, incorporate different, like, um, Jewish traditions or, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not a one-to-one, obviously, but yeah. just different, like... Um, the word like characteristics or um important things from that faith into the other one mm-hmm. um it's just really fascinating to me yeah that kind of ties into something that i have honestly really enjoyed doing while playing as a cleric because as a practicing catholic i'm very familiar with and also very like comfortable with having a lot of like very specific like rites and religious practices be inherent in my religion and also then you know tied to my faith and stuff mm-hmm. um so because for one thing D is not especially um they don't especially have a lot of like specific religious practices built into any of like the basic like entry level source material Mm-hmm. So something that I've been doing for Fiala and as she follows Melora is I have literally been going through and like compiling like I I am writing the idiot's guide to Melora volume 1. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's it's been really interesting because a lot of it's you know like trawling through the internet for finding literally anything that's been written on Melora because as a deity who did not really receive a lot of public attention until she was featured a lot in the various critical role campaigns that they've got going on. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there wasn't a lot of stuff and I was like, okay, well, this is probably going to be about half pulled from the internet and then half me just making it up. Mm-hmm. So I've also been doing research then on kind of combining like aspects of both Catholicism, but also like the Celtic tradition of sure. faith and religious practices because because it's just that is so strongly based in nature that I was like, I need to pull from this to balance mm-hmm. out the the sometimes dryness of like Catholic ritual and sure. rite. But I'm like it's part of it's also that I feel like there's not a lot of instances where people are like clerics of nature gods in D D <laughs> except for like the adventure zone. And you know <laughs> sure. what's his face critical role. Usually you're a druid if you're following a nature like a nature god. Exactly. So I'm I've been trying to figure out, okay, like what is the difference between playing a sure. druid and playing a nature god like and to me, that difference is a lot of times coming across as, like, there are very specific, like, different rituals and rites that will be, that Fiala will be doing that are maybe different from what a conclave of druids would be doing if they were worshipping Melora. Like, sure. That there's yeah. this specific code that, like, there is a code that, you know, has to be followed by people who follow any deity, but with... With me writing this idiot's guide, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna come up with a whole bunch of like there's gonna be there's gonna be like parables. <laughs> there's gonna be like specific burial rites. Like mm-hmm. there's gonna be a whole I'm gonna be writing prayers for this. Here's different incarnations. Here's other deities that Melora can be conflated with within the D D pantheon. Yeah, you've definitely got grounds sort of in some of the flavor in that, and just in terms of like how clerics ca- function as spellcaster versus druids with the mm. having to prepare versus being completely at will. Mm-hmm, and you can mm-hmm. sort of extrapolate from that, but yeah, there really isn't a whole lot of specific distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like being able to like build that religion kind of like just with these broken pieces that you have is such an interesting and like fun position to be in i like i envy yeah. you a little bit like i just think it's so fun especially like as a person like from a faith background like you are mm-hmm. like knowing that like it's not enough to just say like yeah they'd like they dance all the time mm-hmm. like they just dance a lot but like <laughs> just yeah. know like why like why is that important to them like what core part of their religion and beliefs Mm -hmm. makes them want to dance you know and like just you can get into it and get like into character with it so easily yeah yeah Yeah, that is nice like that's definitely like when i have to deal with coming up with any kind of certain flavor for like uh juliana's religion because the deity's a homebrew i have to sort of extrapolate from the sort of bullet point list that i have (laughs) right of traits about this goddess some stuff i can't actually talk about yet but like uh reaching back to like okay so these are the values that she that that she finds important uh she's like dietary things like ethylens or pescatarians mm-hmm. uh <laughs> like I, just smaller things oftentimes like just sort of working off of some of sort of the the high church things that i have picked up in in my husband's day-to-day life mm-hmm. as a as orthodox yeah um and like because you know when it gets to really high church that tends to be sort of almost the closest thing that you can think of to a lot of like 
sort of very uh very right-based like fantasy religions because there is so Mm -hmm. much more ceremony and right and just so much more age that is Mm -hmm. still kept in so much of of the liturgy oh yeah definitely yeah that that kind of reminds me of how like i i wonder if part of the reason that there's not a lot of like specifically religious rites and practices inherent in the base D and D source material. I wonder if that's not because like the D and D has never been, let's just say a either a a draw or an interest of people in religion. And I think it's <laughs> it's probably fair to say that the uh, the the creators, the original creators, Mister Mister Gary himself, and the subsequent writers really haven't. I I don't. Like for reference here, I read the the book on the art history of D and D last summer. It's very interesting. Not enough women, but what can you do? <laughs> um, but <sighs> yeah, but I feel bad sometimes. Yeah, there's a, there. Let let's just go ahead and put that on the table, especially with <laughs> with some more recent conversations. There's a lot in D and D's bones that are real bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. they need they need a lot of bone marrow transplants when it comes to D and D and the bones. There's that it's a lot built of the on. DNA that's bad, and if you want to throw the whole thing out, you're you're totally warranted in that. If you yes. want to try and dig among the trash and figure out what works and throw the rest of it away, that's also cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very true. But there's Thank a lot of trash. Yes, yes. Hashtag trash. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> um, but I feel like part of it is that like. Like even the creators that were making D and D throughout the ages, that there was never really any influence of religion within, or like even any kind of really like faith among the people who were making it. Because <laughs> right, par- you can even see that in part of how it's like so much of like the the basic D and D pantheon to me at least feels like they were like, hey, you know. You've you've read either Hamilton's Greek mythology, right? Okay, cool. We're just doing that. <laughs> hey, I'm in. I'm into Greek. I'm into Norse, and I'm into Lord of the Rings. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I think, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that there's it. It leaves something to be desired. Yeah, it's so one dimensional. It's like, hey, you be- you believe in Pelor, the god of the sun? There you go. Go say some prayers to the sun. Now you can heal people. Dwarfs right. like Thor. That's it. I think it's also really important to say that, like, yes, it's one-dimensional, and anywhere where there is dimension is because probably almost everybody who worked on it was raised uh, in, like, either a Catholic or Christian home, probably. And that's probably really their only experience with um, religion. And so, like, they're, like, I don't know enough about it to really speak on it, but, um my uh jewish friend that i play with has a lot of concerns about D being um very christian uh in a lot Valid. of the ways that it like uh at least in the like D canon flavors religion uh and so i think it's way more interesting to let people just like use their own experiences and just throw canon out the window for oh, <laughs> as far no, as the yeah, definitely. gods go <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just my I, I think what i'm trying to get at is that like in in building an RPG system where where faith is literally a twelfth of the possible character options mm-hmm. that you have. No, it's not even a twelfth. It's a sixth because you have right. paladins and clerics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the player's handbook anyway. Yeah, out of the player's handbook. 
<laughs> so out of out of the default twelve, like having two options that are faith based or religion based, and just putting so little like development into it, aside from you prayed plus ten plus ten to your strength for the next hour is sure. just it. I I don't know. It it feels like you got really bad bricks out of your Lego kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much up to really like the dm and the player to flavor oh, that yeah. at all it would be so easy to play a cleric that just like says that they pray and just like goes around and does their magic but doesn't really think twice about it and i'm sure a lot of people do and they have a great yeah. time but like it is also such an easy place where the dm can come in and be like oh no this is going to be like a character moment like what you're doing right now is important you know mm-hmm and, you know, the thing is that, like, that is sort of the player's handbook, but you do see some attempt to sort of extrapolate from that and to get into it in, in things like other settings, even just even other official D&D settings. Like, um, mm-hmm. one thing that's always been interesting about Eberron, for instance, is that uh, the gods are almost largely absent to the point where some people aren't even sure if they even exist. Is that and, the one where uh, all the gods are dead? Uh... In... <laughs> In in my research for the Idiot's Guide to Melora, I did in fact go through all of the deities available to 5e and tabled them out with their domains and everything. Because I was like, okay, who among these could be conflated with Melora? And there was like a whole group of them where they were like, oh, these deities got killed by other deities, so who knows? <laughs> you know, it's an Eberron. Stuff happens. <laughs> okay. The thing about... The thing is, though, though, is that, like, especially when Eberron first came out, it was one of the first major uh, settings to say that, like, okay, so let's look at how clerics work. That was one of the uh, that was one of the earlier major points where they said, like, well, a cleric may not actually be sure whether the god exists or not. They may not even have a god, but they can still be a cleric because it says, okay, let's shift the focus away from receiving powers directly from your deity and more from having strength of of character strength of faith strength, strength of beliefs of will. yeah yeah strengthen your beliefs in in something uh whatever that is that's sort of where you want to start with and like that's mm-hmm. such a much more interesting take and so much more nuanced than sort of what you had going around there before so you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that is internally thought about in Dungeons and Dragons, but it, it doesn't necessarily get that kind of attention just in your standard player's handbook because, you know, you have to spread your attention to everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sometimes you just kind of make up important touchstones that sounds like they came out of a, a, of a holy book for your character. Cause yeah, that's also <laughs> that valid. Is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel, I wonder if I should maybe be taking a more improvisational approach to playing my cleric rather than I'm going to figure out all the rules beforehand so that way that I can <laughs> reference them and give them to my DM so he can pull from them. Oh, straight up. I like, I go straight from the aspect of having a couple of things that are written in stone and then the rest of it you need to sort of like adapt as the story goes on and as things become relevant to just sort of like keep it loose. Add details mm-hmm. in where you need to. That's always sort of been a bit more of my storytelling approach, though. So, mm-hmm. the pretty much the only, the most concrete thing I have set down for for Ethla's uh, sort of divine scripture in any way, shape, or form is the phrase, 
Ethla knows that we are weak, and yet she asks for strength. Mm. Which, you know, you get a lot of mileage out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, it's got good meter. Yeah. <laughs> because once, once a writing major, always a writing major, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta use my BA somehow. <laughs> but, you know, that at least... I I think there's definitely merit in having everything written down. I think it's very satisfying to do so. But mm-hmm. I think especially when it comes to working on to having your character with a working growth of faith and mm-hmm. figuring out exactly what all that means, it helps at least me to keep things a little bit loose with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find that like points that I like improv and then retrospectively try and work into my characters like motivations are is so fun and like Mm -hmm. i think that it builds the character so much more to force yourself to like it's like okay so my brain just thought that that's what they would do so let me figure out what path took me there and yeah then it informs different decisions i it's uh, i like it so much (laughs) yeah yeah like when working backwards to figure out like my character is this years old and Mm -hmm. they've been in this town for how many years okay so she's 23 she arrived at this town when she was 21 after leaving the convent so let's say that it's tradition for clerics of this faith to leave and basically go serve at other at other temples when they turn 21 (laughs) Exactly. Mm-hmm. To go on to go on mission. Let, let's just say 21 is when they do that, and that's why she left at that point. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I'm going to have to keep that in mind for knocking on wood here for whenever I get back <laughs> to my game. Because <laughs> I, think, I think something that I've been maybe having a bit of a struggle with is that, like, like I am, as I said earlier, like I am someone who has who has been, you know, faithful and religious for her entire life. And I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how to like genuinely portray someone coming into faith and religion, like doing mm-hmm. that as a as like a genuine character moment. Also, because our game so far has not been super heavy on RP, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's trying to figure out like what like how would I genuinely portray someone who is coming into this religion for the first time, like. Would she sure. would she be like mm-hmm. would she be hesitant to discuss her faith with outsiders? Would she be like asking a lot of questions of someone who's nice and seems to know what they're doing? Like mm-hmm. how would how would her growing faith affect her interactions with the party who is uh who is a religious? Sure. Un- unreligious. Mm-hmm. A religious works, I think. Yeah, yeah, a religious. With her party who is a religious mostly. Mm-hmm. Huh. No, that that would be kind of difficult with your background, wouldn't it? That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like, I can't necessarily... A part of it's also, I'm like, now now I'm getting, you know, into like the like the, the, the cat with toast on head gif like oh god how do i how do i how do i present religion in my own life how do i portray <laughs> faith in my own life how do i show it to others mm-hmm. how will fiala show it to others right That's yeah wild because i'm i'm coming at it from like the opposite end with my character because she's someone who has been raised in faith and that has simply not been my experience at all mm-hmm. that's fascinating i love <laughs> the different relationships that characters can have with faith and like like, for example, like, in my campaign, there are, 
like in in our like downtime 24 7 role playing that you can do um mm-hmm. there are npcs that you can talk to that are running religious services all over the country oh, cool. and nice. so i had a great i had a great scene with one of the dms where my character was going to their first ever like religious service that wasn't for the divine mandate and mm-hmm. the divine mandate if you couldn't tell was very rigid and specific yes um and um all right all right everyone now we're gonna say the latin and we're gonna have to stand up and sit down and kneel five times and pretty yeah 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 unless you're orthodox in which case you just stand the whole time and sometimes you sit on the floor (laughs) (laughs) um but uh friday found a church of the solace and in the solace it's a lot of, it's so much more lively and people are dancing and singing and yeah. um just like having a good time and that's how they show their faith and it would just mm-hmm. blew her mind yeah <laughs> and like oh that must have been so fun to do as a character it was really fun yeah. and like you know it wasn't a like a crazy like for lack of a better term, like, God moment, where she was like, oh my god, the solace, this is where I've been supposed to go my entire life. It's very, oh, it's like, 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 Jake Blues at the back of the church. Yeah. The Blues Brothers. <laughs> the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it was very interesting to, like, explore her mindset, like, watching a religious experience that mm-hmm. she had no connection with whatsoever, mm-hmm. and trying to come to terms with what that meant for her. But it's just, yeah, it's a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> That, no, that there, there's so much meat there. I love that. Mm-hmm. No joke, Emma. I literally had like that a very similar experience my first time attending a non-Catholic church service as an <laughs> yeah, adult. I bet. Oh, here's an interesting question. Like, how have your characters who have been who how have your cleric characters reacted to finding or encountering other faiths in the game? <laughs> like, have like Emma, you already kind of talked about this. Yeah. Um, what about you, Annie? Have you had any experiences with this? <laughs> uh, directly, sort of. Uh, when our characters went to Crin, we actually did a crossover with another uh, actual play podcast, which mm-hmm. is the uh, the Fallen Gods five E setting done by uh, the Cool Kids Table, um, which is a which is a Crin, uh, much more like classic D anD D setting. Um, well, well, the, the, set, whole... the setting is classic D anD D, right? <laughs> they, they they actually have a whole their characters' whole plot uh, in their campaign is about like <clears throat> is about like essentially like a problem with the gods. So they directly communicate with them. They're actually on a mission from one of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they directly deal with the pantheon much more than uh much more than our characters do, especially in their in their home sphere. Uh, like Jilliana was a character who she has never had a direct conversation with her deity. Uh, she has sort of had sort of a a presence or sort of a feeling of of connection with mm-hmm. Ethla, but a conversation or any kind of direct thing has never been a has never been something she encountered. Uh, <laughs> go to Kryn. It turns out that the uh, weirdos who just crashed a bathosphere into their into their spaceship boat um have a bag full of gods mm-hmm. like in item <laughs> yeah. form yeah. and also they just summon the god that sent them on a mission to just sort of manifest in front of them and just have a conversation and Juliana had a breakdown <laughs> it was a lot yeah mhm and and of course you know like the the characters are 
in in Fallen Gods are themselves a religious. Like none of them are practicing anything, which means that they're all like, "Hey, what's her what's her name? Mira. Mina. Mina. Hey, Mina. We need to talk to you." And she's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, they have a a somewhat contentious relationship with uh yeah. with with the god that set them out on a mission. And <laughs> that's putting it very politely. <laughs> It's also fun for me personally because uh, they're set in Kryn, so Dragonlance, and I was a child who read a lot of the pop fantasy Dragonlance novels, mm-hmm. so I was I was already deeply familiar with a lot of the Pantheon. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was fun for me personally to directly deal with all these names that have very little meaning personally to the to the players because it's the DM of that campaign who is very into the setting, and the mm-hmm. players just have no connection to it at all. Sure. Sure. Yep. <laughs> um, but that was Juliana's big like encountering other religions moment aside from like we haven't had a whole lot of necessarily like religious contact in other spheres um thus far. Uh aside from the they are in fact tracking a uh, a cult of some sort of deity or ancient creature called the world eater, but mm-hmm. the exact nature of that is not something that they've been able to really encounter yet. Sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've if Fiala has had any experiences with other religions in the game and I feel like not really, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's been I think honestly the, uh, the th- like maybe the three points are that there's like a druidic a druidic commune <laughs> in the middle of the city that we last le- that we were last left in and they follow Shantae who is like mm-hmm. in D&D a harvest goddess um and apparently they were pretty chill with Melora which was fine good I guess but they didn't have a lot of information to add to my character and then there's you know like the there's the Baham there's the Bahamatans the mm-hmm. the big which is like the big fancy you know tip Typical fancy church with probably too much money. Wonk. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> and the and the other player in our party who is a paladin, whose god I do not remember, but he's a god of wealth. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious to, I really want to see how their interactions are gonna work out because I feel like the paladins much closer to his god than Fiala is to Melora. Mm-hmm. Because, like, their contact has pretty much been, like, like, the deity magnet pole kind of a thing. And, like, hey, I'm going to appear in a dream and give you your give you your divine mission for the sake of the plot kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the question I thought of to kind of, like, close us out of, like, talking about the faith was, what is your, what is the coolest <coughs> faith encounter or the coolest faith-based thing your character has done so far in your game i bet i can tell i bet i can guess what annie's is gonna be but i'm curious what yours is gonna be emma <laughs> uh do you want me to go first while you think what you think of uh yeah go ahead works for you? okay all right um so this is a story that i will tell regularly um feet to me like grapes 
And like our third session is when Juliana starts to realize that she does not have the stable connection to Ethla that she was used to mm -hmm. um, as soon as she basically leaves her home planet. And uh, how we did that uh, was she ended up having basically this crisis of faith of is Ethel even there? Is there any point to this? She had this whole thing where like she had always defined strength and faith as being certain that things are going to happen and suddenly she doesn't know for sure mm -hmm. and she's completely out of her element. Um, we played this out mechanically. I, I suggested to our DM that I wanted to have uh, something uh, that wouldn't totally screw over the rest of our party because I'm the healer. Mm -hmm. um, and what we ended up settling on was that she basically had to do a wisdom roll every time that she uh, did a spell and it had a chance of fizzling out and her losing that spell slot. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so we deal with this for a pretty decent long, a pretty decent time in terms of in-game stuff. Um, and it's actually mm -hmm. when we uh, were going to Kryn uh, and doing our crossover with the Fallen Gods that... Uh, our characters go up against uh, this cleric of this world eater thing that is like a fallen priestess who like lost contact with her goddess and then like found this this ancient thing that spoke mm -hmm. to her instead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's fun to to sort of ruminate on for my cleric. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Uh, we're doing this big boss battle on the rooftop. And I mean, she's got like legendary actions. There mm -hmm. are like six of us yeah. against her and she's kicking yeah. our butts. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what ends up happening is that uh, Juliana gets thrown over the ledge and she starts falling off of this huge tower to her death. And um, I finally get a chance to uh, activate a thing that Azamar have at third level, which is, uh, she's a protector Azamar, so she has a I think it's Radiant Soul is what it's called. Uh, she gets wings mm -hmm. and, uh, like Radiant Power and stuff, and her eyes glow and shit. Mm -hmm. And how we, uh, ended up playing that was that uh, Juliana basically is falling to her death, and she essentially just closes her eyes and she starts praying to a god that she know cannot possibly hear her. Mm-hmm. And she hears a whisper, I'm here. And <laughs> Radiant Soul activates. She flies up, lands like Marvel superhero style, like one fist down on the ground and everything. Yes. And uh, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. clears up her her uh, issue with spellcasting <laughs> and stuff. And Juliana suddenly like has this whole new relationship with her faith that she's sort of still navigating Uh mm -hmm to this point in our campaign but it, it, it was just it was mm -hmm. a very cool character moment that oh she got my. to have that's mm -hmm. so sick mm -hmm. oh my god that's like i yes i was like i'm getting like pumped right here I <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, yes everybody was was kind enough to let me do that uh and take up that time um on on like another podcast even um and like uh a a person who listens to our podcast who have become friends with actually drew like the moment when she lands and posted oh, yeah. that and like that's been oh, my yeah. phone background for like a year. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. It was rad as hell and I love my campaign and I love my DM and I love my players and I love Juliana. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, what's yours? Well, I think that I've already talked about it but I have another one that uh, I'll say instead but so I think yeah, that most um significant uh 
like uh faith uh thing that's happened to her like on screen is that first mm-hmm. um soulless service that she was able to attend and just like how that shook up everything she thinks about religion um but uh the coolest one and i was hoping i would have a chance to tell this story on the podcast um <laughs> so asking, you shall receive i hope that i don't ramble too much um so there's this city in the empire called berents and it is completely petrified every single person there every book every like building is just completely stone mm. and uh the Empress that's a rocky did- situation take one d4 psychic damage (laughs) no (laughs) um so the empresses completely petrified this city because they were practicing magic um that uh wasn't approved by the divine mandate and as like a show of power so that they could really build their empire um Mm. you know just some light heresy yeah exactly exactly yeah um (laughs) actually Quick aside, we um we call it snaracy because they're snakes. <laughs> the snake oh, that's also terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so there have been quite a few expeditions into Berents to like find different magical items or just explore it, figure out what happened there. Um, and on this one expedition that Friday was on, um, Friday is a part of this like rebel insurgency <laughs> inside the Empire called the Pipers. Nice. And so it was Friday and two other members of the Pipers um, with these two other NPCs. Their names were Althea and Constance, and they were hardcore Imperials. Um, and so that was a disaster waiting to happen, that they were all on the same team. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we found this petrified um, Church of the Solus um, mm-hmm. and uh, went into like the catacombs um, because we had some kind of clue to go down to the catacombs and uh, ran into this, uh, this angel. I think it was called a Deva. Um, sure. Yeah. That was yeah. guarding one of the families in the crypt um, and said that we couldn't go past because the last people that they let, let pass were these snake ladies who were pretending to be goddesses. Um, and because the diva said that the Imperials got really, really upset. And mm-hmm. um, Althea, uh, tried to petrify this angel and the pipers Ooh. were like if you like out of character we were like if you try and petrify this angel this will turn into pvp and they were oh, like dang. i'm totally fine with that and so we it was it turned into pvp <laughs> and um it was really intense for friday personally um because i mean for one she's 18 and she killed two imperials and now she oh, can't no. return to the empire without probably getting petrified herself um oh no <laughs> but like it was just like the whole thing like being in a church of the solace and there being an angel there and the fight between um two religions coming to a head so like dramatically and violently mm-hmm. and her specifically being a part of bringing those two down um was really impactful for her and then there's this really sick moment that um, Althea and Constance had <laughs> where Constance, they're married. Althea and Constance are married and mm-hmm. Constance is on the ground. Um, and one of the Pipers has a sword to her throat and says, if you don't call off the like um, flesh to stone that you're doing right now, I will kill her. And um, part of the divine mandate is that you have to be able to give up anything for oh. the divine mandate. Um oh. 
Oh, no. And so uh, Althea says something really rad about, like, uh, like I would sacrifice anything for uh, my religion or whatever. And uh, the Piper does kill Constance right there. <gasps> it was so crazy. I mean, so because for the West Marches, there's literally 20 people like muted in our voice call listening to this happen. And it's, oh. yeah. oh, it was so intense. <laughs> And then, yeah, it was so crazy, and everyone was like, oh my god, I can't believe she just did that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then, fast forward, I'm trying to skip a lot of details because I don't want to ramble too long, but um, skipping ahead, we have another piper with a sword to um, Althea, uh, and finally deals the final blow. The diva comes back and um, casts Speak with Dead on Althea's body, brings yeah. back her ghost, so that the Piper and Althea can talk to each other <laughs> posthumously. Yeah. Or no, yeah. was, so the diva and um, Althea could talk to each other. And diva said, uh -huh. the, I told Constance that I would come here and I would tell you that she doesn't hold anything against you and uh, still loves you and can't wait to see you on the other side. Uh, and Althea um, looks the diva straight in the eyes as a ghost who's already dead and says, burn. And then she Whoa. dies. <laughs> oh, wow. It was crazy. That is so intense. It was incredibly intense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all of that uh, traumatized my little girl. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so now she has a real complex relationship with you know, she thinks the divine mandate is even worse than it was before, and yeah. the solace now has this weird place in her heart as the place where she committed her first murder. Oh no! So yeah. Oh, no. oh, and combined with like that really different service that she attended. Too, oh, I huh? know. Yeah, and that so that yeah. was the first time she'd been in a church of the solace was this petrified, weird place, and so in the petrified church there are like petrified statues of people oh, no. dancing like and practicing their religion then they all got frozen in time and so to to know that and have such bad mm -hmm. connotations with that and then later to go see a live church that's actually moving and full of life uh -huh. the like the dichotomy there was just oh super oh, cool yeah no like i said that like like i said meaty earlier and i'm just i'm i'm just reiterating that now <laughs> oh, there's just so much to there's so much you can work with with, that, with the character and like the trauma and the complexes. Oh, that that is that is good. It's good stuff. Listen, the DMs are incredibly, incredibly talented at creating drama and somehow juggling forty characters at the same time and giving them all yeah. like beats to hit all the time. It's insane. That sounds like a really I'm... good venue. Congratulations on finding that. <laughs> I'm very glad that you are in this that you were in this environment, Emma. I'm very glad that you are thriving. Thank you. <laughs> After having gone through my notes, I think I finally found what honestly one of my favorite moments of faith has been. Okay. Yeah, let's hear it. Um there was a at one point my party was traveling on a caravan or not on a caravan. We were traveling to a specific city to go find, you know, like Go find the healing flower that grows on the on the show, on the steps of the volcano, kind of a thing. Yeah, to um, save Rapunzel's mom. Yeah, yeah. I think I was actually we were trying to save the mayor's kids from from being essentially mind controlled by the lich druid. You'll get <laughs> um, that. Yeah, yeah, you get that in D anD. d um, But we were traveling to the city, 
And on the way, we came across um, some bandits, which we fought, and then our rogue scared them off. Excuse me. But in the aftermath, we found a, we found, like, a merchant who had been killed. And he was, um, and he was, I I guess you could say attended by his, by his pet parrot. (laughs) All right. I've played I've played this Phoenix Wright trial. Go on. <laughs> um, but at this point, I think I I think we were maybe level three. We were either level two or level three, and I was like, I don't think I have speak with dead yet, but mm-hmm. I want to try and like put him to rest. Like I I want to see if I can do anything to help this person who was brutally murdered by these bandits find rest. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the, and our DM was kind enough to let me do speak with dead, anyway. And so I got to you know talk to the I got to talk to this merchant who was killed, and he said you know like like thank you for letting me, thank you for sending me onto my rest and stuff, and mm-hmm. please take my signet ring and give it to my pet parrot who will return it to my family in the in the Aww. big city on the coast. Huh. <laughs> yeah, and Very so I cool. think I I think I also did speak with animals to be able to ask the parrot to do that and to introduce ourselves or something like that. <laughs> um, but it was, I think that might've been like the first, like really genuine moment of faith for, for Fiala was just like, I'm going to, no, I'm going to make sure that this person is given, is like given a peaceful rest <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, you know, like commit them to nature and stuff. And then it turned out that, Hey, we got to the big city and the the parrot did make it back with the signet ring, and it turns out hey. the fam- turns out that that person's family is one of the seven most powerful merchants in the oh, entire city. Go. And then we had a default ally because I did something nice. Hey, hey positive consequences <laughs> for your actions. Yeah, we love to see nice. it. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the other coolest thing is that we had to. So we had we were doing essentially like a mini quest because we gotten a new player. And another player had gotten a new character, so we were like, "Let's let's take these people on an audition." And we all got sucked into a magical glowing gem that our wizard had picked up at some point, and we had to go. <laughs> essentially, we had to go rescue. Definitely not the Smurfs from definitely not Gargamel. <laughs> and on the and on the way, we had to fight a bunch of like stone gargoyles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Fiala got surrounded by like four or five of them. And in desperation, she managed to rip off a really clutch spiritual guardians and just like, and they just got wrecked. (laughs) I love spiritual guardians. We should have talked about specific cleric spells. It's so good. (laughs) It's spiritual weapons, spiritual guardians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the one time that I pulled off spiritual guardians, I also got hit by a, by a polymorph knife that turned uh, Juliana into a wolf. On, was the random table and so I decided that the spiritual guardians were also like tiny angel wolves <laughs> that's adorable I love that I think honest oh god there's just so many cool spells that I really want to do I, I just I really like there's a lot of interesting spells for clerics too yeah I agree yeah I had this project uh, at the beginning of quarantine which was my uh, the you know maladaptive coping mechanism that I went through at that point um which was, uh, was spreadsheet gi- yeah i made a gigantic spreadsheet of all of the of all of my cleric spells 
and mm-hmm. like pretty much every spell that she can get and then i also made a whole bunch of things that are like these are the these are the bonuses that she has for being an asimar these are the mm-hmm. uh you know like mm-hmm. turn undead and stuff and i like it is it is a god tier spreadsheet <laughs> Yeah, I made myself a spreadsheet so I could actually filter through, like, actions and bonus actions mm-hmm. and, like, whether they're healing spells or whatever, so, oh, because amazing. I just wanted to be able to just look at that data! Mm-hmm. Just just to have it! Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, going through that and just sort of copy and pasting everything into a spreadsheet um, from, like, from... Like uh, like roll twenty or something was so illuminating in really getting me more familiar with so many of the just banana stuff that clerics can do, yeah. especially yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. like third level and fourth level. So I gained oh, a whole yeah. new appreciation for it. I don't have a good way to end this episode. <laughs> well, I think we we've been recording uh, for a very long time. <laughs> we sure have. Thank you so much for joining us, Annie, and talking to us about your character. I'm so invested in <laughs> gem jammers. <laughs> Well, I am... Uh, gotcha. <laughs> Got him. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really like thinking about all of the all of the weird minutiae of being a cleric, so I uh, was delighted to come and join y'all for a conversation on it. Uh, it was really fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, th- thank you for coming on. And I, y'all, I know what I'm going to be thinking about for probably the rest of this week whenever I'm at work and I'm not actively having to focus on my work. Yeah, really. <laughs> Oh jeez. Okay. Um, I don't have a good way to say this. So, Annie, where do you want to be found on the internet? I know you have things you want to promote and mention. I do. I do. I am always a shill for my own works, uh, mm-hmm. especially when mm-hmm. I can talk about how awesome my friends are because they do these works with me. Um, <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at Annie Zard. That's A N N I E Z A R D. Yes, it's like Annie and Charizard with the at the end. Uh. If you want to find uh, my podcasts, such as Gem Jammer, we are on Twitter at CRC Podcasts. Uh, you can find more information about our shows at crookedrussiancam.horse. Uh, use hashtag mm-hmm. Gem Jammer on Twitter to uh, see what we were talking about with that in specific. Uh, we also have more information on that, as well as our other shows, uh, such as our uh, pop culture discussion podcast, I Will Fight You, and our Otome game video series, Date Me, Damn It. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, my friends are very good at Dungeons and & Dragons, and I love playing with them a lot, so you should absolutely listen to us have a big gay space adventure together on Gem Jammer. I which will. Which comes out absolutely. every other week on Saturdays. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Yes. Okay, uh, I will take the wrap-up then, because you did the intro, Emma. Great. Faithful is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, uh, for as long as iTunes still exists. Um, Google Play, later to be Google Podcasts, maybe by the time this comes out. Um, Stitcher, Acast, and other places where podcasts are found. If we're not there, let us know and we'll work on getting there. Our theme song is Start of Something Beautiful, courtesy of Ketza. You can be reached through an email at faithfulpod at gmail.com or through our Twitter at faithfulpods. Uh, And we always appreciate a like, a review, a comment, a subscribe on whatever platform you're listening. And it is always especially helpful if you can recommend us to a friend. Um, And as a slight programming note, uh, for the time being, we are going to be switching to monthly episodes Mm -hmm. um, for the sake of Emma not having to... (laughs) worry about too much as uh as the school year resumes in whatever capacity is going to be resuming in right yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. So we're probably going to be going to one episode a month for the time being. If things are going really great, you'll get two episodes. <laughs> if not, if not, you'll get one. And you'll uh, be happy so. about it, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, look, if you want us to have more episodes, then offer Emma a job so that she'll be secure as soon as she graduates. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so I guess that's it. Um, talk to us. We want to talk to you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Oh, uh, if you have any stories about like your experience with D&D and religion, or you just want to tell us mm-hmm. about a cool thing that happened to your character, uh, please email us because I want to read about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> email us or tweet at us. Both of those are completely valid uh, methods of communication. Absolutely. Keep the, the faith! faith. <laughs> remember uh when we moved to the area we got a flyer for a uh for a new like mega church that was opening up mm-hmm. one of like the really just oh, loose ones no. and their their flyer said on it like no weird stuff and so my orthodox <laughs> husband and i are sitting there like what's the weird stuff whose weird stuff is this is this is, is the transubstantiation the weird stuff is the standing the weird stuff what's the weird stuff it, because i'm pretty sure the music is the weird stuff for some people yeah, yeah. really <laughs> yeah